Thank you for uh, your word. And Lord, we know that there's some areas of your word that are awful tough. And we're in one of those areas right now. And uh, Lord, as we look at these three men who live their lives on the road to perdition, on the road to hell, Lord, help us to examine our own lives today and make sure that we're not following in their footsteps, Lord. I believe for the most part, everyone here is a born-again believer. Lord, you know our hearts, so, so you can convict us if we're not. But, uh, Lord, uh, there's a lot of deceivers out there, and there are a lot of people who have been deceived. Lord, so we just want to be sure that uh, we're in your will and we're walking on the road that leads to heaven. So you can show us through this text as we look at these men, Lord, and all of us at times uh, get off the path, Lord, and so uh, use this text today to get us back on the right path because there's danger whenever we get outside of your will. So, Lord, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for our Savior that keeps us from perdition that keeps us from going to hell. It's through his precious blood that we're saved. And we just thank you for that, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Man, if you looked at your bulletin this morning, you might would have turned around and said, man, I'm going to another church. This looks like really bad news here. We, Pastor, you know, we've had enough of Jude. Let's get on to the book of Revelation. <laughs> well, I got news for you. The book of Revelation is tougher than the book of Jude. I have no doubt that when God arranged the 66 books of the Bible, the canon that what, as we know it, that he put those books in a particular order for a reason. So as we're heading now into the book of Revelation, I think he had purpose in having 2 Peter, 1 and 2 and 3 John and Jude precede the book of Revelation. Because if you've followed us for a while, you've seen that the theme of these books, or the maybe, maybe the main purpose of this book, is to expose false teachers and false believers. In other words, as you head into Revelation, which is a, one of the main things of Revelation, is the perdition. It is the judgment of God on an ungodly world. You want to be sure that, that you're... Uh, not heading that way, that you're heading on the right road, not the road that leads to hell, but the road that leads to heaven. And so, I, again, I think he's given us these books in this order for, for that purpose. You remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Listen to what he said. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to perdition. And then he says, and I'm going to give it to you the way the Greek would read literally, and most are those who go that way. Most, many, many, many are on the way that leads to perdition. There are a lot of people who have deceived themselves into believing somehow that they're saved when they're aren't. When they're, they're, they think they're pleasing to God when they're not, they give God lip service, but they really aren't born again. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Unless a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. That man or that woman is on the road to perdition. And so we've been given these last few books before we look at this great judgment of God and the revealing of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. We've been given these books so we can be sure 
that we're not deceived. So we can be sure that we're not sitting under a deceiver as a teacher. So we're sure of the fact that we're listening to the truth. And listen, there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt, that we're living in the very last days, the very last days. And so uh, we're living in the age of what the Bible refers to as the great apostasy. The, the great apostasy when the church at large is a false church. And, and we shouldn't be surprised at that because the Bible gives us that warning on more than one occasion. And probably the most pointed warning we get uh, about the apostasy is found over in 2 Timothy. And that's why I told you, to, if you would, start out over in 2 Timothy and look in chapter number 3. Go to 2 Timothy Chapter number three, and then we'll come back to Jude here in just a minute. But listen to what he says, and I'm I'm picking up down in verse number 13. He says, but evil men, are you with me? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 13. Give you a second to get there. We hadn't even, we've been so long in these last few books, we've forgotten about the rest of the Bible here. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look, things were pretty bad in Paul's day, weren't they? There were a lot of deceivers already in Paul's day. But, hey, think of how bad it is 21 centuries later if he says things are going to get worse and worse. There are exponentially more deceivers out there and more people who have been deceived. And so uh, Paul exhorts us, listen to what he says in this context. He says, but you, you, you who want to be on the right road, you who don't want to go to hell, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Who have we learned them from? Well, you, you learn maybe a little something from me, but you really don't learn anything from me unless who teaches you? The Lord teaches you. You remember what, remember what John said in, in 1 John chapter 2? He says, little children, you have an anointing and you know all things. So, so what he's saying here, you've learned these things from the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you're, none of this is going to make sense to you. And if you don't know the Lord you got to make the choice to give your life to the Lord. You're going to see that today as we, as we go through this, this text in Judas. We look at these men who, re, who really didn't know the Lord. You want to be sure you know the Lord. We're living in the very last days, and so you want to know the Lord. And then he says, and from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, this Word, which are available, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture, all scripture means all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You want to know how to be righteous enough to go to heaven, to be on the right road that leads to heaven? You have to be in this word that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And at the top of the list of good works that you want to be equipped for is 
what Jude says when he says we're to contend for the faith. The contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints through this word of God. And be able to warn those, be able to warn those when you contend for the faith to warn those who are really on the road to perdition. How many people are on the road to perdition? Jesus said most people are on the road to perdition. And he was talking about religious people too. So we want to be sure that we, we know these scriptures so that we contend, can contend for the faith and warn those who are on the road to perdition. Now, in order to help us with that task, go back to Jude, all the way to the back of the Bible, almost to Revelation, to the little book of Jude, one chapter book there. And in order to help us spot those people who are deceived and to spot those who are deceiving people, Jude's going to give us three examples, and that's all we're going to be able to look at today, three examples of men who were on the road to perdition. So let's read verse number 11. We're going to look at one verse today. Doesn't mean you're going to get out of here early, so don't get all excited. We, we might even go long. No, I'm, I'm teasing. We might, well, I'm really not teasing. Verse number 11. Woe, woe to them. He's talking to false teachers and false Christians. For the, here's what's happened to them. They've gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. And they have perished, or they're going to perish, in the rebellion of Korah. So he gives us three examples here. Three examples of men probably you're familiar with in the Bible who were thought they were godly men, but they were deceivers and they were deceived and they were deceiving others. So we want to look at each one of these in just a little bit of detail. The first one is Cain. Now you all know all about Cain. You remember Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Cain deceived himself into believing that God was pleased with him. He thought God was pleased with him. Let's, let's look at the story a little bit. I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this, but if you want to follow me, Go back to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and look down in chapter number four. The first book of the Bible, chapter number four. Genesis chapter number four. And again, Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam. And we get a little description about them in verse number two. Look at the last part of verse number two, chapter number four. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. God loves sheep herders. He loves pastors of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Nothing wrong with being a farmer either. And I'm going to paraphrase this. And when the time came to worship the Lord, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock. And of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now get the picture here. Here's Cain. He's a farmer. I don't know if you've ever tried farming, but that is tough work. And he had done all of this work, and he produced a crop, and he took some of the 
best portion of his crop and he took it to the Lord and he offered it up to the Lord. And he said, man, look, man, I bet the Lord, Lord, I bet you're pleased with me. Look what I've done for you. Look at all the work that went into this. I mean, don't you see what I've done for you? And what does the Lord do? The Lord rejects his offering. He, it's, he totally rejects it. And Cain is stunned. I mean, he's stunned by that. I can understand that. I mean, have you ever felt like you're rejected by the Lord? Man, that's a bad feeling. You ever think maybe you've done something really pleasing for the Lord and then the Lord doesn't recognize what you've done? And the Lord didn't just not recognize this. The Lord didn't want his offering. And, and so he's hurt. And then he went from hurt to angry. And then he went from angry to jealous. And if you look, jump down to verse number eight, he killed, rose up and killed his brother Abel. He was jealous of his brother Abel because the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but didn't accept Cain's offering. So looking at verse number six, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? I mean, what's wrong with you? And, and listen to what he says. If you do well, if you do well, if you come to me on my terms, if, if you do well, you will, will you not be accepted just like your brother Abel? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. But you can't rule over your sin on your own. You can only rule over your sin if you're in a relationship with God based upon the sacrifice to God, the right sacrifice, and based upon faith. See, you see Cain's problem there? Do you understand what his problem was there? Cain, Cain thought he was pleasing to God because he had worked for God. He had worked to be pleasing with God. What did Abel do? Abel just killed one of his sheep. He killed the firstborn of one of his sheep. He followed the instructions of God, and Cain did not follow the instructions of God. And, and so when Jude says here, going back to Jude, when he says, uh, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, is he talking about Cain murdering his brother? No, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's speaking of his false religion. That, that led to him murdering his brother. His religion was a religion of works and not faith. How do we know that? How do we know that? Well, if you want to flip with me, go back to Hebrews. Hold here in Jude and go back to the book of Hebrews, just a few books back. And we looked at this fairly recently. In Hebrews chapter 11... Hold your place in Jude. Look at verse number four. Just a few books back. Go to the book of Hebrews. That's an easy book to find because it's a big book. And look at chapter 11, verse number four. And watch this. And you're told why God accepted Abel's offering and he didn't accept Cain's offering. Right there in verse number four. By faith. You get it? There it is right there. There's the answer. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain because it was by faith. And because he offered that, he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still 
speaks. So Abel's religion was by faith, by faith. Abraham, I mean, Abel's religion was like Abraham's religion. What was Abraham's religion? He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see how simple it is to be born again? You see how simple it is to be in a relationship with the Lord? It simply comes by faith. You believe God and it's accounted to you for righteousness. You know what happens when you believe God? When you put your faith in God, you are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Can you add to that? No. And if you try to add to that through your own works, you've gone the way of Cain because you're trying to please God through your works instead of by faith. And, and that was, that's what was wrong with Cain. He didn't have faith in God. And, and, and watch this now or understand this. Did Cain know who God was? Certainly he knew who God was. He heard the voice of the Lord. He might even walk with the Lord like his father Adam did. His Adam and Eve walked with the Lord. Now they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden at this point, but, but he knew who God was. But he didn't put his faith in God. He put his faith in himself, in the works of his flesh, instead of the sacrifice or the sacrificial system that pointed to Jesus Christ. And that's what Abel did when he offered the firstborn lamb, just like Jesus is the firstborn. He's the lamb of God uh, who's given for our sins. This is really subtle now. There's a lot of people who are walking the way of Cain, and they think they're on the road to heaven and they're on the road to perdition. I met this lady the other day in our neighborhood, and I'm talking about a super nice lady. And when she asked me what I did, and I told her I was a pastor, she was all excited about that. She says, I'm religious too. And I always go, oh, don't say that. (laughs) I'm religious too. I'm a Christian too. I go to church each week, and I listen to a homily, and and, and whenever I'm in trouble, I say the Lord's Prayer several times. And, 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 and I do, I want you to know, I, I really am involved in my community. And I'm, do, I'm fixing to retire, and I'm fixing to do all sorts of community work. And I love taking care of animals. I love rescuing animals and, and saving animals. And, and she just went on and on about all the things she was doing. All good things. Don't get me wrong. Those are good things. But she never once said anything to me about her relationship with Jesus Christ. She never once said anything to me that gave me any kind of indication that she was born again. And as nice as the lady was, I'm afraid that she's gone the way of Cain. I'm afraid that instead of being on the road to heaven like she thinks she's is, is she's on the road to perdition. And I didn't, you know, at that point, you know, I don't know her well enough. I didn't have the nerve to tell her that. Maybe I should. Maybe somehow she'll listen to the tape and she'll burn my house down, but... But hopefully she does if that saves her. No, not burn my house down, but hopefully she listens and gets saved. And there's so many people like that out there. I was like that 
for the first 20 years or so of my life, I was a religious person, but I didn't know the Lord. I knew of the Lord like Cain knew of the Lord, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord because you can't have a relationship with the Lord unless you come to him through Jesus Christ by faith and faith only. And if you add anything to that, you nullify the work of the cross. Read Galatians. That's what it's all about. People were trying to do that. They were going the way of Cain. Well, the second character that Jude gives us, going back to Jude, is this infamous prophet, the prophet who had the donkey that spoke. I mean, I'd like to have a donkey that spoke. I know some, some never mind, I'm not going to go there. The prophet for prophet. We all know who he is, that, that old guy named Balaam. And we looked at Balaam in pretty much in detail when we were in Second Peter, so I'm not going to go through all of that again today. But, but let me just summarize Balaam's era. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? He, Balaam was in religion for what? For fame and fortune. I mean, Balak came to him, and Balak said, look, I'll give you position in my kingdom, and I'll give you all sorts of money beyond your wildest dreams, and all you've got to do is go up on that mountain and curse Israel. And you know what? Balaam would have done it if God would have let him do it. In fact, Balaam went up there to do it, and all of a sudden when he spoke, it wasn't him speaking, it was the Lord speaking, and what did the Lord do? He blessed Israel. But that didn't change the fact that Balaam was walking on a road to perdition, that he was doomed because of his character, because of the fact that he was in religion for all the wrong reasons. And there are a lot of people out there who are, out there who are prophets for profit. I mean, just like Balaam. World Magazine had an article entitled a while back entitled Big Buck Ministries, and it's centered on three ministers that have gone the way of Balaam. You want to hear their names? You want me to give you their names? I'm not going to do it. You can look up the article if you want to. But one of these guys, he lives in a $10 million home he calls his parsonage. He has a warehouse full of luxury vehicles. You probably know who I'm, some of you probably know who I'm talking about. And when he goes out of town, he won't stay in a hotel room unless it's in the, about the $3,000 suite range. And he does that on money, I want to say that idiots send him, that really foolish people send him, they, do, they donate that money to his ministry. And what they're doing and this is not my opinion. I'm telling you what's happening here. They're donating that money to the devil himself because that man is of the devil. There's no doubt in my mind he's of the devil. But big money preachers aren't the only people who've gone the way of Balaam. Let me tell you something. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, so that you can get the riches of heaven, get your ticket punched, so man, one day I can live in heaven and have my, my mansion in glory. And if that's your reason 
for getting born again, or getting, you're not getting born again that way. That's your reason for becoming a Christian or accepting Christ, as they say. If that's your reason, don't you see you've gone the way of Balaam? You've done the same thing. You're not after a relationship with God. You're not after dealing with your sin nature. You're not after with being changed into the image of Christ. You just want your ticket punched to heaven. And if that's all you want, let me tell you what, you're not even going to get that. You're on the way that Balaam went. You're chasing, you're down that same road to perdition that he's on. You go to some of these churches and, and, and I know businessmen who have joined, I might have been one of them myself at one time, who joined certain churches in order to find certain relationships that would help them in their business. I mean, if that's your purpose for joining the Christian church, let me tell you what, that won't save you. In fact, that will send you straight to hell. You're on the road to perdition. Look at the bulletin again. It's rough. Looks really bad. If, if I know people, I know people who out in society, they can't make it. And so they join the church to find acceptance and, they, and to find position and to maybe get some power that they couldn't get elsewhere. Let me tell you what, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not born again, and that's the case, and that's the only reason you're in the church, you've done the same thing Balaam had, and it did. You, you've, you've, you've gone into Christianity just for what you can get out of it. Now, let me tell you something. To some degree, we all come to Christ for that reason. I mean, I, when I came to Christ, I was in a lot of trouble, and I wanted out of my trouble. But I also but also knew that I was a sinner, that I was in deep trouble spiritually. And I wanted out of that trouble too. And I wanted God to save me. I wanted God to change me. I, wanted, I didn't want to be evil any longer. I wanted to be good. And I wanted God to do that. And that's how you come to the Lord in order to be born again. You don't just come say, well, I want a ticket to heaven, so I'm going to raise my hand in a service. It doesn't work like that. You must be born again. And in order to be born again, you have to come to the Lord humbly, recognize that you're a sinner, and ask God to save you. Till you do that, you're not going to get saved. Look at here. We're all ready to the third one. Number three. The third guy that was on the road to perdition that Jude gives us in this uh, text. He says, Woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily after the heir of Balaam for profit, and they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, you got to be pretty much in the Bible to know who this guy Korah is, but let me kind of set the setting for you. The Israelites had crossed the Red Sea, and they were in the wilderness. They had escaped the bondage of Egypt. And then they had not believe God when God had told them to go in and take the promised land. And so God sent them on this wilderness journey. And they were in this wilderness for decades. And they were getting pretty fed up with living in tents. I don't know if you've ever been camping, but camping's all right for a day. And then you want to go home. I'm talking about living in a tent three or four days and you're ready to kill yourself. They had spent decades out there, and they were eating this manna from heaven. They were getting bored with that. They were eating quail. They were getting bored with that. They were drinking water out of rocks. 
And they were going around in circles around this mountain. And for decades, and I can understand, they were getting pretty fed up with it. And they were getting pretty mad at things. And so Korah says, I've had enough of this. And he didn't, it didn't take him long to find some guys that, that felt the same way. And so he mounts this rebellion. And again, you don't have to follow me verse by verse because I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But go to the book of Numbers and we'll look at this guy Korah for a minute. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. And I'm going to be in chapter number 16. So Kor's had enough. And Kor was a Levite. He was a leader in the Levites. He was one of the elders of, of Israel. And he got tired of Moses and Aaron, the way they were doing things. And so he gets with Dathan, and he gets with Abiram, and 250 other leaders, and they gather together against Moses. And I'm picking up in chapter 16, verse number 3. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you, watch this line now, I want you to catch this, you take too much upon yourself. You think you're a big shot. You take way too much upon yourself. Who are you? And, and for all the congregation is holy. You're not the only holy guys here. Every one of us are holy. Well, that's a lie. That was a bunch of vagrants, man, I'm going to tell you. Rebels. And the Lord is among them too, not just you. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? I love this. I've learned to do this myself. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Absolutely love that. That's a good practice to have. When somebody says something to you don't really like, instead of going after them, just fall on your face. Just fall on your face and say, Lord, help me not kill these people. <laughs> if I would do that in traffic, but the car would go off the road. I would fall on my face. Lord, help me not honk my horn. Help me not wave my hand at these people. Lord, help me. And he spoke to Korah and all the company saying, now he got, he, got, he got on his face and I think he heard from the Lord. And he spoke to Korah and all the company saying, tomorrow concerning the Lord, uh, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. You think you're holy? He's going to show you who's holy. And then jump down to verse number six. He says, do this, take censers, core and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses, the fire, I think, sends fire down upon that fire is maybe what he had in mind. And he's going to change his strategy here in a minute, but, but that's the way he meant it there. You, and then look, listen to what he says. You take too much upon yourselves. I love that. You sons of Levi. Then in verse number six, uh, verse number 12, go to verse number 12. And Moses, he, he's going to call some of these rebels. He's going to say, look, you don't want to be with Korah on this. Why are y'all joining Korah against me? And so he's going to call these guys out and, and ask them why they're joining up with Korah. So Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But listen to what they say. We're not coming up to you, Moses. 
it, is it a small thing that you brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey? You catch what he's saying right there? That you, you took us out of Egypt. They had forgotten all about the bondage and the whips and the bricks they were making. And that to them now was the land flowing with milk and honey. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I run into that same situation. In other words, you've got me into this Christianity. You know, I, I, I want to go back to the land of milk and honey, back to the bars, back to all the things I used to do. Man, that's when life was good. Let me tell you what, you have, you're not a true born-again believer if that's what you think. If you think that kind of life is good, if you've been brought out of that life, you know it's not good. But he says, hey, you brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. Who are you that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you've, you've not brought us to that land you promised where the, uh, into a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses did, but they rebelled against God. They've forgotten that too. Nor given us the inheritance of the fields and vineyards that you promised. Will you put out, are you gonna, what are you going to do? Are you going to put out our eyes? Hey, Moses, you've lost your swagger with the people now, buddy. You don't have any power over the people. You're not going to harm us. We, we, we're not coming up to you. So they were in total rebellion at this point. Verse, verse number 16, and Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you as, as, as they as well as Aaron. Let each of you take a censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with a censer. And somehow I think Moses thought God was going to send fire down on the right censer on who he wanted to be leader. But they're messing with the Lord in a way they shouldn't have been messing with the Lord, and it's going to get a lot more serious than that. He says, so every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting of Moses and Aaron, and Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and guess who's here? Guess who showed up? Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And I bet you everybody fell on their face. God is love. The God of love appeared and everybody was happy and ready to party. Let me tell you something. There's two sides of God. There's two sides of God. God is love and God is just. And he demands 100% righteousness. And anything else will destroy you. And so the God that shows up here is the God of love, but it's an angry God of judgment too. And listen to what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses Moses, you and Aaron get out of the way because I'm about to kill all of these people. I've had it with them. He says, separate yourself from among the congregation that I may consume them all in a moment and I'll just start a new nation with you and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua and that'll be it. I love Moses here. I love Aaron here. Then they fell on their faces again. They're getting up and down. They're doing push-ups. They had to be in good shape. Then they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall, shall one man send Korah? And, and actually there were more, much, 
all those people were about to back Korah and, and these other two rebels. But Moses is going to blame it on Korah because he led the rebellion. Oh God, the God of spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Man, that's bad news for them. And they spoke to the congregation, depart now from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all of these works, for I have not done them of my own will. I didn't want to do this in the first place. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit. And then you will understand that these men have rejected, watch this, not me. They've rejected the Lord. How, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all of the man with core with all their goods. Man, it's a serious thing to rebel against the Lord. What was the rebellion of Korah? Hey, hold your place right there. Was it a revolt against the authority of Moses? To some degree it was. But in reality, it was a revolt against God himself. Go, go over to Numbers chapter 26, just a few chapters over. Numbers chapter 26, and look down at verse number nine. And just go, down, just go down to the last part of the verse, where it says, Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah. They contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah. When what? Look at what it says in that last part of the verse. When they contended against the Lord. You know, you know what these guys were saying? They, this is really what they were saying. We liked our lives better before you got involved in them, Lord. Well, they, they were blaming it on Moses, but really they were saying to the Lord, we liked it better when we were in Egypt. We liked it better when we were in bondage. Be careful with that. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul talks about murmuring and complaining against God. And he says this is given what happened to the people that murmured and complained. They all died in the wilderness. This is given as an example to us so that we don't murmur and complain and die in the wilderness. Oh, Moses, man, we're, we're tired of waiting on you. We're tired of doing things your way. 
We're tired of doing things God's way. We're going to take charge of our life. We're going to be captain of our own souls. Listen to me real carefully here. Because I know a lot of people, I'm not going to name names, but I know a lot of people who fit into this category. Any man or woman who refuses to submit to the authority of God in their lives, they refuse to wait on God for direction. They continue to control their own lives without any regard to God. I don't care what you call yourself. You can call yourself a Christian till you're blue in the face. You can read your Bible. All of these men were exposed to God. They knew God in a way. They saw God. They saw the glory of God. And yet they still were living in rebellion because they refused to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They were captive of their own souls. And I don't care what you call yourself, if that's the way you're living your life, you better get off that road because you're on the road to perdition. You're on the road that's going to lead you right to that awful picture David put on the bulletin. That's where you're heading. And you better wake up. I can't make it any clearer than that. There's a world of people out there who give God lip service, who go to church every once in a while, who, who, who call themselves Christians, and they don't have a clue. They don't do anything. They don't ask God before they do anything. And they're just like Korah. I'm the captain of my own soul. I'm a Christian who's the captain of my own soul. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're a deceiver. You've deceived yourself. And you're going to end up in hell if you don't get off of that road. So there you have it. Three men on the road to perdition. And they represent a lot of people. False teachers and false Christians. Look, all of us sometimes go the way of Balaam, the way of Cain, the way of Kor. We get tired of things sometimes. We want things, we, we, we're in this because we want some things from God. We try to please God with our good, but we do that from time to time, but that's, that's simply a lapse in faith. That's not a way of life for us. We might do that from time to time, but that's not a way of life. But anyone who calls himself a Christian, and they're still trying to save themselves through their good works, or they're still in it just for what they can get out of it. And they really haven't submitted to the authority of God. They're on the road to perdition. That's where they're heading. Heading to hell. So how do we get off the road to perdition? You know how you get off the road to perdition? You just turn the road that leads to heaven. Who can do that? Anybody can do that. 
any time they get ready to do that, they can do that. If you're still in Numbers, look down at chapter 26, verse number 11. Notwithstanding, some of the children of Korah died not. Well, we know some of them died because, so the way that reads is a little tricky. But some of them didn't die. What happened to those guys? Anybody know what happens to the sons of Korah? They were worship leaders. Worship leaders. They became worship leaders. They wrote 11 of the Psalms that we have in this Bible. One of those Psalms happens to be just about my favorite Psalm. So I'm going to close with that. I'm going to read that to you. Let me just read to you. You remember this Psalm. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. You have given us a home at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they will always be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. He's on the right road, on the road that leads to eternal life. As they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. Hey, wasn't that the case for the sons of Korah? I mean, can you imagine how they felt when their father and their mother and most of their family was swallowed up into the earth, all the way down to Hades. But they learned from their father's death. And this place of weeping became a pool of blessing for them because they learned from their father's mistakes. And then he goes on, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O oh God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed, your Meshach, your Messiah. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell near the tents of wickedness. Those tents that were swallowed up when his father and those men rebelled against the Lord. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, a light and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk with him righteously, who walk on the road to heaven. See, the sons of Kor learned from their father's mistakes. They got off the road to perdition. And they came to the Lord on his terms. 
and they found the secret to truly being blessed, to true peace and true joy. O Lord of hosts, reading again, who withholds no good things from those who walk on the road that leads to righteousness. Jehovah Saviot, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to be people who trust in you. People who are on the road that leads to righteousness, that leads to eternal life. Father, if there's anyone here who's fooling themselves and deceiving themselves, when in reality they're following the way of Balaam and Cain and Korah, or let today be a day when they repent and truly turn to you and give their lives to you and are truly born again. For all of us, Lord, that drift from time to time onto that road of perdition, get us off quickly, Lord. Keep us on the road that leads to righteousness, the road that leads to blessings, the road that leads to a true relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.